0: Hey, welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers who are also into business of one form or another. And I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 26 with Marc-André Giroux. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev, and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year and i often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events then i need to make sure i apply to them before the deadline i need to make sure that i don't double book myself and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that i haven't enjoyed a whole lot it turns out that otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building Speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now, the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev. So all spelled out, D-O-T, Dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Marc-André Giroux. Mark is a GraphQL expert who currently works as a platform interface engineer at GitHub, where he builds GraphQL APIs. He previously did the same at Shopify, and the experience from both of those has led him to write his new book, Production Ready GraphQL. Mark is also a frequent conference speaker and travels the world to share his knowledge and experience on how to do GraphQL the right way. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks
1: Ryan, really happy to be here. Big fan of the podcast myself.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, you and I, we've we've met in person a few times at conferences, and and so we go back a little ways. Um, and we chatted the last time that we saw each other about your desire to do something of a book, of a product, uh, an info product that you could release to the world. And so now you're here. You've done it. You've done it just recently. So a huge congratulations to you because it is a... It, it is a thing that a lot of people want to do, but not so many people end up doing it because there are so many hurdles. So big congrats to you. I just want to say that right off the bat. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was definitely
1: way harder than I thought. And it feels good to uh, get this off my chest and release well, it finally. That's
0: that's that's, uh, that's good to hear and, and appropriate to hear, I think, because it is it is something that I hear from, from nearly everyone who does a book or other kind of info product is that it's one of the hardest things they they've ever done, right? So I'm hoping we can maybe get into that. We can delve a little bit today into why it was hard, maybe what what the hard parts uh, of it were, maybe what you do differently if you're to do it again, etc. But um, before we get there, maybe just take us into your book, Production Ready GraphQL. Tell us a little bit of the backstory, some of the motivation, and, and what the book is about.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so. The the book kind of started with, uh, for me, um, looking at what kind of GraphQL content was out there. It was very, uh, first of all, very front-end focused. Um, so I think GraphQL's p- popularity comes a lot from hits paired with React and that kind of ecosystem. Um, but there I was working, I think, at first at Shopify and now at GitHub, working on the back end of things, uh, working on GraphQL servers. And I could see... First of all not that many people were writing about it and second of all it seemed way easier in the minds of people i was reading and everything on twitter it seemed like a really easy task but it wasn't really reflecting what i was doing day to day we had like it just wasn't easy right so yeah um, i started writing blog posts a lot of on that on schema design on just running GraphQL servers in general and i definitely saw There was kind of a need for that people reacted pretty well i had good chats with a lot of people so it kind of led me to writing this book which is really it goes from the beginning to what is graphql to just running running it actually in production like building GraphQL servers like we did at shopify and
0: github so that's pretty much it yeah excellent uh well i mean your experience both at shopify and github Running GraphQL there, I mean, that's got to be some of the most intensive use of GraphQL, I would assume, that, that you could find around from from the big companies, right? Especially if you, you look at Shopify and, and the volume of API requests they are taking in, especially on something like, you know, like a Black Friday event, that sort of thing. So you've really been in the thick of it, and it sounds like you've distilled your knowledge from that experience down into this book. Um, so what, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll get into sort of the process, but... Um, maybe what what is it that would differentiate aside from the whole fact that there's not a lot of content out there uh on the market about back-end stuff with regards to graphql um what what does your book kind of bring to the table in terms of like what people will learn uh that differentiates it from from maybe just some some random blog post that, that people would find elsewhere
1: right uh first of all you said it uh shopify and github were probably like the two biggest at like, least public uses users of graphql Um, So it does come with challenges that maybe some people haven't faced yet, but that they can prepare for and read. Uh, I think this book even might turn away people from GraphQL after reading it in some ways uh, because it does come with a big set of responsibilities, uh, even though it is truly great, but it does come with a lot of responsibilities that maybe a small team will read this and be like, "Mm, you know what? Maybe Uh not not just yet. Um, So I think it comes with real real experience and yeah. kind of the, the niche I found where I'm not always 100% sold on GraphQL for all use cases, Yeah. so you'll see a lot of new ones. Uh, it depends uh, yeah. in the book, which um, I think a lot of people appreciate in these times because uh, we read a lot of things that are more, let's say, focus on on the hype and just like sure. just use yep. GraphQL and that's it. So you'll see like actual production tips um, that work uh, in real production, uh, traffic with, uh, just like Shopify GitHub does.
0: So that's, yeah. I think that's a value. Yeah. That, that's super valuable because that's something that um, is not easily replicated i think taking those years of experience and being able to um, get the the info from someone who is right in the thick of it someone with a lot of skin in the game right um, you know you can learn as as much through documentation and try to redistill that into um, a you know as an info product as you want you can do that you can do that as much as you want, but at the end of the day, your experience, your direct experience, is is the value add. I think here, so um, super valuable indeed. And maybe we can get into uh, how you went about doing this. I guess one question I've got off the bat is how long did it take from kind of conceptualization to your release uh, of the product for you to to make this a thing? What 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 is that kind of uh, time frame there for you? So it took a really long
1: time, uh, but it wasn't necessarily needed, but I, I think it took me about two years, uh, from the first thing I've ever written in the book to releasing it, uh, gotcha but there were parts of it where I was just not writing for like a few months, like probably not something I'd recommend to anyone. Uh, I would like get off it kind of <laughs> procrastinate and then come back to it. I think, uh, the majority of the book I wrote in the last like four to six months, really, uh, when I actually set myself like a release date, which really helped. Um, but it initially started with uh, just me writing blog posts, uh, and I was kind of trying to keep a cadence of blog posts, posting frequently, um, and kind of naturally, I guess it guides you towards what if I put all of this into one book, and I realized it was way harder than I thought, because writing a blog post and shipping it feels great, and it takes yeah. like, I was getting pretty good at it too, I think, I could get a blog post going in like two three hours, right. then Putting things together in a coherent way that provides value as a, a single unit is way, way, way harder. So, yeah.
0: about two years, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. I mean, that sounds like with, uh, kind of comparing that to people that I've talked to and to my own info product, my own book that I've got. That sounds about average uh, to me. That that sort of so for those out there who are thinking like, you know, how long does it take to to get a, a book out into the world, I mean, it can take any range of time, but but the average at least that I've noticed is, is kind of something like two years, you know, it it, it takes a while to, uh, yeah, and that's even if you have the knowledge uh, to begin with, maybe you're still right. accruing some knowledge as you go uh, throughout the writing process. But even if you have all that knowledge at the outset, the the whole kind of like ideation phase through until you've got a product to release often is, is a long time, something like two years. Um, <clears throat> so... You mentioned blog posts, and and blog posts are a good way to get... uh, I mean, I think it's almost uh, the necessary way to get your feet wet with writing if you're going to do a book, at least these days. Um, And blog posts are interesting, I found, because they're... Like you said, once once you start doing them, you can crank them out pretty quickly. They don't have to be perfect. You can ship them out. People will get value from them. Um, and they also help you to build an audience. Um, so that's maybe something that I I'd love to chat about is, is the whole audience building side of this. Um, did you, were were there any kind of areas that you focused on more than others to build your audience over time? Is it something you thought a lot about, uh, or it just sort of happens? And I guess, how did you, how did you think about and go about building your audience?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I definitely focused on it a lot more in the past year or two when I was working on the book because um, I I did realize it was like a very important part of it. Um, in fact, I was just talking with somebody yesterday. If I just released the exact same book with the same content, but without having done all the Twitter stuff, the Medium post, I probably would have sold a total of zero copies, even though <laughs> I think the book is great. If you have nobody interested in what you have to say, it's right. kind of useless. So. I think the blog posts were a big part of that audience building and like a lot of developers twitter is also i would say like that's that's where i hang out and that's where mm-hmm. most of us hang out so twitter and medium helped a lot uh, whether i like it or not i had more <laughs> luck um getting a lot of uh, viewers and followers on medium than on my own yeah. blogging platform so these were
0: really two big ones Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the debate is do you stick with medium or go to your own platform? Yeah, uh, because there, you know, there, I've talked to people on both sides of that coin because medium has got that built in, um, uh, I guess built in distribution network of its own so that your, your content will get in front of more people, but then you're beholden to medium and their paywall stuff yep. and then all that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I don't know if I'm personally, if if I have gone to one or the other uh, necessarily yet, I've got content in in both fashions. So anyway, I digress. Um, So building the audience through your blog content uh, and Twitter as well, do you have a sense of like for actual book sales, where most of that traffic would have come from, whether it would be through like directly through a Twitter post, for example, versus someone who may have seen your blog post and then maybe subscribe. Do you, do you keep an email list by the way? You probably yep. keep like a, yeah. So maybe talk about that. Do you, do you have, do you have a sense of like the breakdown there between Twitter versus email?
1: I do. Um, the, the funky thing is I'm not sure how many people from my Twitter are also on my email list. Um, oh, true. Yeah. And, uh, but f- for the actual book sales on the launch day, I would say email did a way better job, um, but mm. a tweet the, the tweet did pretty good too. So it was maybe like one third tweet, two thirds, the email list. Okay. Um, so I, I did this, the email list is really, really valuable. And many guests on your show have said it too. And it's quite, um, yeah. um, and I think it's totally true. It's reaching out to people in their inbox is really valuable. Um, it's something I, I really focused on
0: during these last two years, I'd say. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think inbox is still like the place to, to to connect with an audience the best, right? I mean, there's the whole, I don't, I think like, so, you know, I often hear that you should focus on email because social is so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? ephemeral, maybe like the, Mm -hmm. you know, a a tweet can go out and then I can just basically, it can be missed by people. I can, can just disappear essentially from consciousness very quickly. Whereas if you're connecting with someone in their inbox, it's, it's their personal space. So it's, they're more likely to pay credence to it if, if they're interested in your stuff. Um, so there's that argument that like tweets and LinkedIn posts are just ephemeral by nature. Um, but I also think too, like Twitter and other places are it's just a it's a different way of consuming content that maybe puts the focus less on the person putting out that content and more on the content itself if that makes any sense so if you're yeah. in somebody's inbox like there's there's more of a chance i think and by nature maybe more of a reality that you're building kind of a personal relationship with that reader rather than on twitter like how many how many super viral twitter posts do you know of that are you know, funny or enlightening or whatever, but you don't remember the person who who tweeted it, right? Yes, that's very it's true. Just, it comes and goes. So I wonder if if maybe you have found that to be the nature of like the way that people have interacted with with you on Twitter at all throughout this process. Yeah, definitely. Um, something
1: something I kind of hate about Twitter is you never really know. It's not really deterministic if a tweet's going to do well or not. Yeah, and if um, yeah. sometimes it's it feels really random. Like somebody is going to retweet it. Somebody with a lot of followers is going to retweet it and it's going to explode. Uh, So like one week before the release, I announced I was going to release it soon. Um, And that tweet did really well. And I was kind of (laughs) anxious of like, when I actually release it, like will that do as well? Did I raise like Twitter views on this? Um, uh, The the tweet on the release that ended ended up doing pretty well, but you never really know if things are up. With an email list, you know, like you're going to deliver your email. And yeah, the person will see it and then decide what yeah. to do with it. Uh, but a tweet, you yep. don't know where it's going to fall. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tweets are so interesting. Uh, you know, like I'll put out something I I've had this experience many times where I'll put something out that's like, you got some content that is valuable and might help you do something in your programming that maybe you didn't think about and maybe it's helpful. Uh, and it'll get a certain amount of engagement and whatever it's it's. It's decent and then i'll put out something just like some stupid random thought and it'll get like 10 times more engagement um or like the it often comes for for me i found it like the the tweets that you don't think are going to do very well often end up like well can end up being the ones that are the, the, yeah. your top tweets i i it's it's strange i i it was the other day i tw- i tweeted a reply to uh can't see Dodds and posted a question or something and i tweeted a reply to it and it was just like a simple my reply was something simple that i kind of thought everybody knew already and it had like it's probably like one of my top tweets from the last like for, for the whole year just in terms of engagement with that one tweet and there's a the factor there that it's like replying to someone who's got a lot of followers etc but it's uh it's anyway it's funny how like the the ones yeah. we think are going to do well just Sometimes don't, and and then the, the opposite is true as well. Yeah, um, you said
1: something really interesting there of like replying with something you thought everybody knew already. Mm. That's such a, a hurdle to get through. I find with yeah, uh, anything totally. blog posts it always feels if you're writing things that feel too easy, you're like, oh, everybody's going to know this. And yeah. if you're writing things that are more advanced, you're like, well, it's too advanced. People are not going to like it. Yeah. So it's it's really kind of a fine line, and really you shouldn't care about it that much i think everybody gets value from it
0: i don't know if i am like unreasonably or maybe just much more so susceptible to that phenomenon than other people but it's like i've been doing content stuff for years now and every single time that i'm going to post something or i'm going to put out you know the seeds of a product or just content whatever i fall i fall victim to that every time and it seems to be getting worse over time too where i'm like I'm, I'm like censoring what i'm putting out in terms of content because i just always assume that people already know it and that it's <laughs> yeah. gonna you know as soon as it goes out people are going to be more annoyed than anything because it's like oh everybody already knows this you didn't have to tell us again you know what i mean and it's just such it's just a anyway it's such no. a limiting sort of mindset that that many 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 people uh fall victim to and so i i man, I always have to remind myself to stop thinking like that. And I think it's important for everybody to, to do so as well, because it's just not true. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like even the, the night before releasing the book, I almost canceled everything, you know, I was like, oh man, people are going to open the book and be like, I already know this. Why did I pay for for it? So
0: that's, that's actually a really important thing that we should talk about because a lot of people get that anxiety when they're doing any kind of content, but especially a product. And, uh, Uh, I've had Adam Wathen on the show and he's well-known now he's, he's doing info products uh, doing very well. I think I saw a post the other day that he's collectively done like $4 million over the last like four years in, in his info products. And, he his first book that he put out he was about to do the same thing delete it the night before it went out um and so you know that that's maybe a good place to start talking about the anxiety that uh was associated with this whole product launch um talk to us about that What what you were thinking as, as you went along and, and right before release
1: yeah um that's a big one impulsive syndrome is is something you, you need to get through and i think we probably all do have it in some measure um but it was actually, you speak about, um, Adam listening to Adam's stories on your podcast and some other podcasts. Adam has a blog post too, about writing, I think was his first book or maybe not the first, but one of his book and the story of everything you even he, I think he says he had imposter syndrome and it just makes you feel like, okay, I'm not alone in this, uh, other people have done it. So I think what we're talking about right now and talking about that everybody who's probably written a book had imposter syndrome at some point is kind of reassuring two people listening, wanting to get into this. Um, I don't think you can avoid it. Um, really, I think it's kind of a phase you need to go through and accept you'll have it. Um, but I think there's still some ways of not, if I came from nothing, no blog posts to writing a book, it, it would have been way worse. Mm -hmm. Um, but because I started five years ago with making small blog posts and like, kind of like the learning in public kind of thing. Right. And slowly as you I guess get a bit more knowledge and become more of an authority in in your domain it got a bit less stressful to me uh, but Mm -hmm. it was really like step by step uh going for a bigger thing if i started with a big book without having done any talks any blog posts or anything or any tweets uh that would have been really terrible in terms of anxiety for sure
0: yeah i can imagine yeah that's i think that's that's really good advice you know start small start with something that's self-contained that is achievable because I mean, like you've been saying the writing a book, uh, is such a ginormous project in and of itself for someone who has done all those kind of small, smaller pieces of content in the past, that if anyone's going to approach a book right at the outset, that's not, probably not a great recipe for success. At least I, I don't think it would be. So, uh, I think starting small is, is definitely definitely key. Like you said, um, One thing um yeah. uh, sorry, one thing I just
1: thought of is when I started writing blog posts is i the way I kind of tamed my anxiety was writing posts in a very different way than I do today in more of okay. a here's what I discovered, or here's how this mm. thing works under the hood, so like if people don't like it or anything, you're kind of more like exploring or stating facts that you found right so it's a bit less stressful than me and like giving advice giving advice generally is more stressful to me because
0: yeah it's wrong or you know what i mean well that's that's interesting because i think i'm I, i have that same i've had that same thought recently that you know maybe if the approach is less so trying to come off as the expert on the topic uh and recommending certain things to do rather than that maybe it's more so just kind of like the learning in public thing this is what i discovered this is what i've been exploring and, and then people can take from that what they want and i've wondered about that and I, i've wondered whether that might have like perceivable impacts in terms of like because because one of the things is when you're doing a product i think anyway you want you want to be able to display authority on the topic and you do yep. that in certain ways like credentials experience where you've worked what you've done etc i think another way is just like probably probably another way is just through the the way that you would phrase things and write things like in a kind of prescription fashion like you know if you are struggling with this issue in your application do this like this is this is the path you want to be on um, so i wonder if there is I mean i i guess i guess my as i'm exploring this thought in real time here is that something you would do in a product you think or is it more so like in your in like in your your blog posts and, and twitter posts and stuff like that
1: yeah i was mostly for content i think um yeah. maybe as an example like the, i think one of the first blog posts i started writing uh was about a relay which is a graphical client uh mm. by facebook and i didn't that was like five years ago, I think like when it was just released and I didn't know much about GraphQL in general. Um, but my blog posts were basically, here's how this function in relay works under the hood. Hmm. So on one end, it made me read the source of relay, uh, right. made by great engineers, made me learn a lot. And I had content out there that really like I had like zero audience back then, but it was kind right. of a low risk because I'm just describing what I'm seeing, what I learned. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not like, here's why you should pick Relay, for example, which is a blog post you'll have w- a big, like way higher chance of getting destroyed over, over Twitter. Or like, I see beginners starting with articles like GraphQL versus REST. Uh, to me, right. that's like a very, <laughs> it, it's like a very stressful way to start into <laughs> blogging. It's like yep. having a big opinion and like some of yeah. those controversial subjects. I'm sure it, it's not bad for views, but in terms of like, getting started slowly, I'm not sure it's
0: the yeah. best post to write, yeah. Well, some I, I think some of your psychology here kind of like is is in line with my own. So it's comforting to talk to somebody who has, has some similar thoughts here. And I remember, like I used to work as like a content writer for Auth0. That was my first job at Auth0. I did a bunch of different stuff there, but cool. I was initially brought in to, to write content like, you know, for the marketing team, but it was like technical stuff like Tutorials for whatever, and then you would just it would lead into um, Auth0 as a product at the end of the article, whatever. And you know, the first 10 articles that I did were um, just presenting the technical aspects of whatever technology we were talking about, and that was fine, that worked well, and I enjoyed that. And then I remember my boss told me he wanted to try as an experiment some more kind of like opinion pieces uh where we're taking a stand on on something uh and and giving our opinion and man i remember I've, what was that about i think it was about i think it was about falcor maybe do you remember yeah yep, you're in yeah, this yeah. world falcor yeah i think it was like I think it was to present an opinion of Falcor and why it was maybe not such a great choice, et cetera. And this was still early. Who knew what was actually a great choice back then? And man, the I, I just I remember agonizing over that um that article that I was supposed to write because like, first of all, I was like a rather new developer. So I'm like, who am I to have an opinion on like <laughs> what anyone should be choosing? Right. And it was almost like we we're trying to get me to manufacture this stance and have this opinion. And I'm a guy that's not like super opinionated about this stuff anyway. You know, I'll, I'll use stuff that works well. And I'm not gonna have like some super strong opinion that I, I take a stand on in social media and, and try to, you know, tout that opinion everywhere I can. And so that was just agonizing for me. And so anyway, all that to say, like in my writing since then, I'm like, I, I've been of the mind that unless I'm super, super convicted about something, um, that someone should do something one way versus another way. I just I present the facts, present the upsides and downsides. And And so anyway, all that to say, I think that's worked decently well in some respects, but I also do wonder if like what people are looking for more than that is someone with like a strong opinion who has like a stance on on a topic. So um, but anyway, it sounds to me like you you have been successful here without without needing to to take that stand so hard
1: right maybe like more recently i've been able to take that stance a little bit more as i guess like if i take a stance like a really hard opinion like this is because i've researched the subject very very Mm -hmm. well i'm very confident in having any discussion after the post with anybody disagreeing um and i mean the the catch-22 here is when you grow more knowledge generally your opinions are more context dependent right and nuanced so you write less of these like really opinionated pieces so yeah it's funny Uh, as your knowledge increases your confidence usually does a bit um Mm -hmm. but also you're you kind of don't want to write posts that are like always use graphql you know yeah yeah totally
0: yeah yeah it's interesting i i I think there's many different ways that that people kind of go towards as they gain more knowledge in terms of their content but I, i think keeping like your, what's the phrase? Strong opinions loosely held. Um, yep. So If you are someone, if you are someone who wants to have strong opinions, maybe hold hold them loosely. Uh, but also for those who don't have strong opinions, like me, it stuff still works. You can still do stuff without super strong. <laughs> yes, opinions. Of course, yeah. Um, why don't we talk about the implementation details, as it were, of of this whole project that you've done this 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 product. Um, talk to me about i noticed because i i I purchased the book i'm a very happy buyer uh it is it is very 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 well done thank you so much i notice that you are using shopify as your distribution uh platform and when i when i clicked the purchase link i was i I guess just because we're in this world i was expecting gumroad um and so talk to me about that why shopify versus uh gumroad
1: yeah that's really interesting um every every time i would research like the most popular approaches to selling books uh gumroad is like as you said the really popular option here everywhere um when i explored it first of all for canadians the taxes i don't think are handled very well on gumroad so i would have to do that myself and taxes here in quebec and mm. in canada are like really funky depending on which province the buyers in. you get like different tax rates and everything right and I didn't really want to do that myself, which Shopify does really well. It's kind okay. of amazing uh, the tax part of it. The other part of it is I mean, I worked at Shopify and I love Shopify as a product. Yeah. and I know that the checkout experience of Shopify is like truly amazing. I'm biassed, but the checkout experience is really great. Conversion rate is usually really great too. Um, but the only part I had to do because I didn't use Gumroad is I had to my my landing page is not a shopify store so i'm kind of mm. redirecting to shopify's checkout only so i kind of use it as a checkout solution more than a full kind yeah. of online store experience um it's worked well for me i think yeah gumroad is a great choice uh for me i kind of wanted to see my taxes i can generate invoices i don't know if gumroad does that uh, but the whole mm. app ecosystem shopify makes like i didn't even know like at first that i people would ask for invoices with like a VAT number and all yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah, it was all new to me. And yeah, so if I made it a bit easier to me for
0: that. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. I, you know, I, I still am not super clear on this, but, um, so for my book, I, I use Gumroad. Yep. And one of the reasons that I, I actually wanted to use Gumroad is that for accounting purposes, um, and it, again, this maybe isn't super clear still, but when someone purchases the book uh from you through gumroad they're actually making that purchase to gumroad and then gumroad is going to remit to you the the author the proceeds from that after they take their cut of course and so um all that you have to worry about really is that interaction between yourself and gumroad and and so gumroad in terms of taxes you don't yep. so much have to worry about those gumroad sort of takes care of all of that now again this is like not super clear i know that adam does it that way um he's the one who explained it to me and so for, it's never been an issue for my right. accounting cool. i have i've I've, uh, I've i've chatted with my accountant about it and you know it seems fine but I don't know. I it, it's it's not it's still again it's it's not it's not super clear, but um I guess if you're getting if you're getting like the the full tax breakdown, etc with Shopify, that is that is a big reason to use it because Gumroad doesn't give you that same experience.
1: Right. Okay, but you're Okay, that's pretty cool. So you're saying maybe like Gumroad kind of pays you more of a dividends kind of thing more than like direct mm. Book sales, in a way, or yeah,
0: it's like how was it explained? It's not so much dividends. It's it's like um, when someone so you, like if you were if you were to sell somebody sell something to someone directly with like forget any sort of middle person, middle middle uh, software you have to collect tax and this is like for you and i both of us are in canada this is always an issue with like american and worldwide customers it's like do we collect tax or not what kind of situations do we have to charge gst hst etc and which don't we and so um if you were to just sell your book directly to someone else in canada you've got to charge what is it you have to charge the tax for the province in which they reside. So if you're selling something to someone in Alberta, it's like 5% GST. Yep. I think is that I think that's how it works. And then you've got to keep track of all that. Um but if you use Gumroad, they're they're making a purchase from Gumroad and Gumroad takes care of that whole tax step for you. Oh, I see. So yeah. th- they either the, they are basically the the whole they absorb the the responsibility of of handling taxes and then they just uh and then and then as far as you're concerned from an accounting perspective you are the person you are as a business you are only interacting with the gumroad not any of the individuals that purchase and so you you kind of just like invoice gumroad uh for bet for lack of a better term uh the amount that you're to be remitted and that's that's the only sort of transaction so again i yeah I, I i'm not super clear i mean i'd be interested to hear your accountant's perspective, given especially that you're in Quebec, to see what they think, but um, that's that's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. We'll see. Uh, we'll see at the end of the year how much uh, <laughs> how much trouble I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I'll well,
0: maybe that's a maybe that's a good segue into seeing how much trouble you're in. Talk to us about uh, about how it's done revenue wise. You uh, you've had a what looks like a great launch. Uh, give us give us some of the the juicy details there.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing. I had no. I didn't know what to expect at all. Um, if I sold one book, I would have been happy, and I yep. didn't know what. I, I still don't know what a great launch is, to be honest. Uh, but, but it but it went really well, so I think um, I've sold close to seven hundred copies wow. now. Uh, first week, first week I made seventy thousand uh, of revenue. Whoa, that's amazing! Which, uh, yeah, which I was blown away. Really, it's congratulations. That's uh, it's really insane. Big. Yeah, um,
0: that's very impressive.
1: Yeah, really happy. When the first so Shopify has that ching sound to their mobile yeah. app that's kind of a famous and the first time I, I I would hear about that sound as a dev when I was working at Shopify, yeah. I was like, huh, oh, must be nice. And when I heard <laughs> it for the first time, it was like the best feeling ever. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. it was great. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. I'm, I'm super happy for you. That's, that's really good. Um, and you, this is, a, I think you have, from what I remember seeing when I purchased, uh, there are two tiers, right? There's like a basic uh, product with just the book and then you've got a higher tier as well?
1: Yep, that's right. There's the um, there's just a the book, which I sell for $39 uh, currently, and the full package uh, for $99, which contains, I have interviews uh, with some people from the GraphQL community. I have kind of three extra documents, content, and you're also invited to a Slack channel, uh, which has been really great. That was kind of the Slack channel part was a bit of a fear of mine at first. I didn't know it was, Mm. it would provide any value or like be really hard to maintain, but so far everybody's so nice. People have been helping each other. It's a great community.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's something I was curious about too. I've been thinking about that for my next product is doing like a community Slack channel or, um, discord or whatever is it, uh, but. I was worried about that as well, the maintenance aspect of it. Is it a, ma- it's not a maintenance nightmare of any kind?
1: No, I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a nightmare by any means. Um, definitely, I mean, especially like with the launch and everything, I'm in here a lot. People have been super helpful, kind of asking questions, found typos nice. and everything. Um, it's building kind of a nice community here that's a bit different from the usual GraphQL community because it's all kind of hardcore backend GraphQL people which uh, that are from like all together. So its it's nice
0: nice that's awesome that's uh well that's an impressive launch i i uh commend you on that very very well done um what I- it now that you've done this now that you've, you've launched uh, and had a very successful one uh the question i always ask people is would you do it again is there would you write another book given how difficult it it is to do so um do you think you would do another one i think i would
1: uh i definitely i don't know if i would do a book or some other kind of educational content, Uh, but I I could see myself doing another book with, I have so many like kind of learnings of things I wouldn't do again and everything that I think a second would would do better. Probably famous last words, probably (laughs) would find other challenges, but yeah. Um, When I finished the book, I was like, okay, I get my weekends back from now on. I'll just like play music, play video games. Turns out I'm kind of like missing it already. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a Stockholm
0: syndrome or something, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been kind of looking for a, a new thing now. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, and that, that's actually something interesting to talk about is like the how you broke down the work because you, you got your full-time job that you have to attend to, Yeah. Um, but putting in nights and weekends, I assume is sort of how you got yourself to the book completion um, point. How many hours a week do you think you put into
1: it? Um, so it took a while. So it took two years initially. That was my biggest hurdle was finding time for it. Um, it was mostly the weekends. So I would say I would maybe put in four hours a week initially, which is why I was like so slow. Um, but the past six months or eight months before the launch, I I put in a lot of hours, probably like ten hours a week or something, yeah. uh, like crunching work. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a challenge. It didn't feel like I was like wasting my life away really um I would do it in the morning when I wake up um with a cup of coffee just like get a few words in um and the weekends were more productive of course um but yeah it takes it takes a lot of time there's like kind of no shortcut you just gotta write content and I wasted so much time and if you read any story of somebody writing a book they always say like don't waste time on your setup like how you're gonna build a pdf or like the epub or like your syntax highlighting but i fell right through in that trap (laughs) (laughs) so i spent a lot of time uh, just setting my repo up setting up like pandoc i'm converting markdown to pdf and epub Uh, so that was also a lot of time and then the last thing that took a bunch of time is i was done writing the book uh, but then all these last little details like setting up the shopify shop Hmm. um the landing page, like Google Analytics, all the final little tweaks. Uh, th- that last weekend, I just like barely got any sleep. It was, yeah. it was pretty terrible, yeah.
0: Were you at all nervous of missing the release date that you had set? Um, and this is actually something you and I talked about uh, the last time we saw each other in SF last fall, was um, to motivate yourself towards a finish, set a date. put Give yourself a release date. And that way you're going to have to work towards it. Otherwise, you're going to disappoint a bunch of people. Um, And I remember when I did my product, uh, it was pretty dicey towards the end as to whether or not I was going to get it to that point, right? Where it's releasable. Um, Did you have any of the same experience? Um, Yes,
1: definitely. So I think it's great advice, but I completely did not follow that until the end. So (laughs) I first announced the book. I put up a landing page with an email list and people were excited, but that was... I'm pretty sure I was like in 2018 um, and I was, I think the fact that I was saying like, it's going to be end of 2018 release date, right? but it was like a very vague date. And of course I missed it. And then I, I changed the HTML to say like mid 2019 <laughs> and that date came, still wasn't released. Um, and it was like up to the end. I finally set a date like one month away and that mm-hmm. month was the most productive month like ever yeah. because I actually like had a date.
0: So yeah. It is crazy how well time boxing yourself like that works, you know, to, to motivate you towards something, something about that, uh, that desire to not let people down when you've set a date that at least in my experience, sounds like yours too. It really does, does push you to, to do the work. So that that's definitely advice that I give people is, you know, give yourself a date and that way you're going to get, you're going to work towards it. Yeah. And even um, the,
1: the Sunday before the lunch, I was like, uh, maybe I can like get a few days before anybody notices the lunch like maybe i, I won't finish sunday i kind of want to sleep and then it was um in later time zones it was like the monday already and i got like a, a tweet or two like so where's the book and i was like oh god i wow i got i gotta finish it you <laughs> gotta do it that's <laughs> hilarious. hilarious yeah <laughs>
0: that's encouraging right because it's just like shows people people want the stuff you got um which is was which is awesome yeah it was um, really motivating were you i mean so The world's in a weird state right now. We're recording this in April of 2020. Uh, We've got the COVID situation happening. Were you at all worried that the current state of the world was gonna impact what would uh, be the launch scenario in in a typical world or were you not so nervous about that? What did you think?
1: Um, I was very nervous, yeah. I did not know what to expect at all. Um, Nobody is like isolated from this thing, even if we work in tech and we're maybe more used to working remote, like there's so many right. industries uh, affected by this in general. So I, I didn't know at all. On the other end, a lot of us were stuck at home, maybe wanting to like double down on learnings while we're stuck mm-hmm. at home. So I don't know if it ended up like balancing each other, um, but I did not know what I know some people wrote me, um, I just kind of can't afford it right now, Right. Because uh, or like my company won't pay for it because we're yeah. kind of limiting expenses and everything. So I'm sure it affected it in some way, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't disastrous at least. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's really good to hear because that's you know I think a lot of people, myself included, who have uh, been in sort of the the new product ideation phase. Um, I, I and so I can speak, speak for myself. I have been a little bit apprehensive about whether or not, or not it's a good time to be starting something new right now, given how uncertain things are. Um, but then I've seen, uh, so people like you, other people on Twitter who have been doing products or, or maybe have a product and they, um, that that they've been selling for a while that March was a fantastic month for a lot of people, right. Um, for info products, it was, it was actually a really good, really good sales time. Um, and whether, yeah, whether or not that's, directly correlated to the situation the world is in, or if it's just maybe coincidental, who knows. But um, I, I've sort of taken that to, as some encouragement that like there's, you know, it's 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 still a good time to do products. We're probably going to see, I think we're probably going to see even more people be who are going to get into programming who might not even be in it at all right now, right? Yeah. Because that is, a- uh, I think that more so than ever, I think we're going to see the world Trending in that that direction, given the state of things right now. At least things
1: you can do remotely for sure, right? Um,
0: yeah, anything you can do
1: from home is, is great these days. So yeah, Absolutely. we're in a great spot. We're we're lucky.
0: Very very lucky. Um, cool. We should probably start wrapping up soon. I, I know that we're almost at an hour, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, one thing that I would love to chat about, just as we wrap up, though, this is something that I think a lot of people are mindful of if they do like a product that has like a launch, like a, a, a discrete launch on a certain date, is what do you do after the fact to try to maintain sales? And so there are various strategies around. Some people try to do like a, uh, an evergreen type of launch where maybe you set up some flow with your email automation software that um, treats new subscribers uh, in a certain way and, and sort of gives them drip emails to get them to a spot where it always looks like you're launching, if that makes sense. Like by yep. the time they get through your email se- sequence, you, you kind of give them an email as if you're launching the product for the first time. So this is kind of evergreen launch, um, strategy, uh, any thoughts that you've got on what you might do to maintain revenue? Uh, are you not so worried about it? Do you just, are you okay with things dripping in over time? Or, uh, I guess, what, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Something I've been thinking a lot um, last weekend is in all this email marketing, I, I love it. Uh, I love having an email list, but it's so, especially, I don't know if it's just my audience, but, and devs in general, getting a lot of emails and those kind of like email sequences. I know if I just unsubscribe or delete when I see, yeah. it, as soon as it feels like a little bit too tactic, I feel like I... I'll lose. Maybe it's my my personality and my fears, uh, but I'm I kind of look at these tactics maybe in not such a good way personally. Um, but maybe it's just my fear. So I think one thing I really got to keep in mind is I got to keep doing what I was doing before the book, mm. after the book too. So I really want to get back into blogging, um, talk about other things that are not in the book and. Of course i'll keep referencing the book and everything but that's something i have in my mind right now is not stopping what worked before after the book and just like sitting there not doing anything right Uh, but of course i mean you've you've said it like sales with like a launch date there's like that big cliff of death Mm -hmm. and i've i've seen it already um it's i don't know if there's a any way of like keeping it super high even looking at seo for these kind of uh books or like adwords or reddit ads it i find like devs or at least my audience responds better on just like content in general putting content out there Uh, i don't know what your experience was that uh, for that
0: yeah yeah i think so i think you're right um i haven't put too much attention at all ever on doing things like ads um you know it's just not think for the, the kind of thing that you and I are doing, it's just not the way that you're going to attract, um, a trusted audience member. Um, you know, it, it takes time. You got to cultivate that trust over the, over the period of many months, many years, right? Um, it's, it's time consuming, but it's, it's ultimately, I think the, the better way to do it because Rather than having just like drive-by traffic that might happen to be interested in your book, and you'll get that, like I'm sure you've already gotten it, and, and you know I'll get that too. Rather than that, it's it's building up an audience that will stay with you, right? So no matter what the platform of the day happens to be you're going to have a, a set of a group of people that is is interested in in your stuff because it's put out by you and i think that's that's the most valuable aspect of all of this is is focusing on how you can offer things of value but how you can build trust for you as a as an author right Definitely. so and
1: it takes time you said it it yeah. takes a lot of time the you see some stories sometimes, like of people going from zero to twenty k Twitter followers in a month or something. For me, trust me, I've I've tried, but it didn't work that way for me. Um, I went from zero to three thousand in like five years. Uh, yeah. But looking at the launch, like people who follow me are actually really interested in what I have to say. Um, totally. Which I'm really grateful for, um, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great example. Yours. Uh, as to how you don't need a huge Twitter following to do well on a product, right? A lot of people that I talk to about potentially doing a product sale <clears throat> they'll say something like you know it's it that, that's only successful when people have super large twitter followings yep etc but it's not true and you're a prime example right i and i didn't have a, a large twitter following when i still don't but i i didn't i had an even smaller one when i put my book out a couple of years ago and you know it was it was successful regardless of that so i think it's um yeah it's key just to give people things of value for free for a long time and then build that trust over the course of time that's that's the way that i've always looked at it
1: absolutely yeah and i think for an audience like developers that's to me that that's the way i would want to interact with someone um and that's the way it's worked best for me so far
0: yeah absolutely well that's great man um why don't we wrap it up let's let's give people some direction as to how they can get in touch with you where they can get your book etc Yep. So you can
1: get my book uh, at book.productionreadygraphql.com. Cool. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, my family name backwards. So it's X U O R I G.
0: X O U R I G.
1: X U. That's what it R-I-G. is. I,
0: yeah. I always looked at your Twitter <laughs> handle and I was like, I don't know what it is, but now I get it.
1: <laughs> yep. It was a terrible choice. It's clever, but it's very hard to find me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, we'll link uh, we'll link directly to you so people can find you um yeah thanks so much for taking the time today man this has been a great chat i have enjoyed it thoroughly and once again huge congratulations to you on uh this this huge feat that you've accomplished it's uh definitely not an easy one and, and you've done it thank you so much ryan that was great Thank you so much once again for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast today. This has been episode number 26 with Marc-Andre Giroux. You can find show notes with links to all the things that Mark was talking about over at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can find links at ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking.